0: That hymn text was a new one to me. Was that new to anyone else? I was not familiar with that text. From what I've heard, it sounds like that would have been a great match to what was uh, Pastor still in Psalm 68. Is that where he is? I've heard uh, bits and pieces here and there. wish we could hear that. If you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. for being here tonight. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. Glad to be together. <coughs> In Alexander Dumas's The Count of Monte Cristo, the main character, Edmund Dantes, searches desperately, if you're familiar with the story, <coughs> he searches desperately to find an enormous lost treasure after escaping from his unjust imprisonment in the Chateau d'If, and once he finds this treasure, if you know the story, he's not content to live out his freedom in comfortable wealth, the new Count of Monte Cristo, as he dubs himself, that's the name of the treasure, the Count of Monte Cristo. He's determined to exact terrible revenge on those who arranged his false accusation and his cruel imprisonment that got him into the chateau d'If initially. So he brings his enormous wealth home and into the marketplace, you could say. He buys many things and he exacts terrible revenge, revenge that he believes will ruin his enemies in ways that are appropriate to them and satisfy him in ways that he has longed for and plotted for many years. It's really a gripping tale of fiction, if you're familiar with that. But he brings that wealth, what I, I want to fix our attention on, is he finds it and he brings it into the stuff of life. He uses it. In the book of Proverbs, if you've read this book before, you'll know after an introduction and a brief consideration of uh, influences on young people and a a father saying son listen to me heed wisdom avoid those who are violent and who will entice you he gets into chapter 2 and there's this extended consideration of the value of wisdom and a a serious search for it if you just look across the page at Proverbs chapter 2 he again addresses his son. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift, up your, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then what's the payoff? Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of god god's the only place you can find it he goes on to say if proverbs chapter 2 is in our little analogy here is the desperate search for the treasure that is biblical wisdom then proverbs 3 where we'll look tonight is the bringing of that great wealth into the marketplace bringing it into the stuff of life obviously not using it for revenge although there are many people skilled at that. They're very wise, shrewd at that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about. It's bringing this great wealth of knowledge gained by the fear of the Lord into real life. You must pursue wisdom and then not just have it. You must live by wisdom. There's a great search for wisdom in chapter 2, but it's not just some commodity to stash away in your pocket. In fact, it brings you into a relationship with the God of heaven, a relationship that you must foster and bring to bear on your everyday life. And you note, as you just for, by way of introduction, if you glance at the first few verses of chapter 3, God is mentioned some ten times in these verses. <clears throat> Look in verse uh, 4. If you do this, you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, verse 6, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Verse 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Verse 11, my son, don't reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe His reproof. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves. There's a concentration in these first 12 verses of Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God. That's what we see there in the Lord with small caps, that's what's indicated. Wisdom brings you into a relationship with God. And in these first 12 verses, Solomon considers the reality that the wise, the wise man finds blessing by fearing Yahweh. As we read these verses, you'll know there's an action and there's a consequence. An action of wisdom, a consequence of blessing. Do this, and this will occur. And the lesson in these first verses is that you must fear God to receive the blessings of wisdom. I think we can summarize these 12 verses this way. The path to true blessing from God is the path of the fear of God. Let's read these verses together. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 1. My my son, do not forget my teaching, But let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as the father corrects the son in whom he delights." The way I understand those first two opening verses of the chapter is that they're a kind of heading. And in this heading, I believe the author is equating his teaching and the commandments of God with wisdom. Look there in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Look back in chapter 2, verse 1. And notice the equation he makes here. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you... Make your ear attentive to wisdom. He's setting them next to each other as parallel. Turn back another page, if you need to, to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. And you see Solomon's introduction to the whole book. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, what's their purpose? The first one, to know wisdom and instruction. These Proverbs give wisdom. These commands give wisdom and this father Solomon is equating his instructions here with wisdom and he's assuring his son that when he heeds wisdom in this introduction this heading of the section God gives long life there's a clear echo here if you if you've or if you're familiar with the law and familiar with particularly the books of exodus and deuteronomy if you read these books you see that there's covenant blessings and cursings and i was just reading them this week there are a lot of blessings that are offered to the people of israel if they will obey god's commands god says here's my law certainly summarized in the ten commandments we've been reading it on sunday morning in the book of exodus here's all the things that will happen in the in the to the people of Israel, in the land of Israel, if you keep this. If you abide by my law, your sheep will never miscarry. They will abound. You will be wealthy. I will send rain. You will, have, you will grow into a great nation. Your enemies won't attack you. But if you disobey, here's all these curses. I'm going to shut the heavens. The earth's going to be hard as a stone, hard as iron. Your enemies are going to come against you. You're going to go against them one way and flee from them ten ways, God says. You will have none of my help if you will not obey me. This was God's covenant with Israel. And there's a clear echo here in Proverbs chapter 3. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. But as in this verse, so in all the verses. There's this clear action, consequence, relationship between wise living, and divine blessing first the one then the other and again the lesson i hope we'll see is that the wise man finds blessing by fearing yahweh how well by a number of actions and dispositions that we will see first notice that the wise fear god by intently pursuing godly character see that in verse three what's the wise action Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There is a consistent and a genuine pursuit of godly character. What are these virtues, kindness and truth? Kindness is the word that's often elsewhere translated loving kindness, what really is a paramount description of God, God's covenant faithfulness, His love to His people, Kindness and truth is is a similar virtue to faithfulness, often translated that way. Both are indicating some kind of constancy in character, some kind of consistency, faithfulness, loving kindness. Both certainly operate in relationships with people and with God. God actually reveals both of these about himself when he reveals himself to Moses the Lord, the Lord God, full of loving kindness and truth, he says. God keeps his covenant, and he does it throughout multiple generations. He's merciful to sinners. But this is a person who's pursuing this. It's godly character. It's character that's like God's character. But notice, that's actually given in the form of a negative command. Do not let kindness and truth leave you and the implication is that that's fending off something that's likely to happen it will leave if it's not cultivated and maintained it's like good physical fitness doesn't it it tends to deteriorate on a bad diet failure to exercise as much as we wish we could always eat year-round like we do at thanksgiving and christmas right we can't if we're going to be in shape that's not how it works it's the same with godly character Good character has a propensity to be lost when it's not practiced. It's crowded out by other pursuits and desires. And what are the actions that the wise person demonstrates towards good character? Binding and writing. The indication is that these must become who you really are all the time. From your heart. Kindness and truth must be your character. External behavior, as obvious to other people. Bind them around your neck like a necklace, but also backed by internal realities known only to God. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This ought to be who you are to the core. And what this describes really is the attention and the delight and the meditation and the effort that the wise give to their character. This isn't an accident, it doesn't happen without effort. And it's not a natural disposition either. We talked about that this morning with a disposition to forgive. This is no more a natural disposition than a disposition to forgive. This is a salvation grace that delights to pursue godly character. And it's a deliberate imitation of the nature of God because we love God. This includes love for God and delight in Him and thought for Him. So... Are you relating to God in this way? Is this how you think about God? You love Him and you long to be like Him and so you put in effort to be like Him. You take strides to be like Him. This is certainly, if you look for a New Testament parallel, this is what Paul exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, godliness, and Justice, I'm not remembering all of them correctly, but this is, he's certainly talking about a a pastor, a man of God, a pastor like Timothy. But that's really, it's not just for pastors, it's a benchmark for Christians, all of God's people, because it's character that pleases God. That's why Paul exhorts Timothy to pursue it. And the wise person does that. Because they realize it's about their relationship with God. It's not just about improving ourselves. There's a lot of that in our culture, isn't there? Self-help in whatever form it is. You'll even hear Christians talk about improving themselves. And maybe there's a place for that. I'm not necessarily trying to harp on that. But this isn't just about us. This is about God. That's the point I'm trying to make. And we pursue things that please God. So does your character and your growth in Christlikeness demonstrate that you fear God? The wise fear God by intently pursuing godly character. But then notice that the blessings of godly character are really universal or or holistic in their scope. There's a recognition of good character in verse 4. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. It describes the recognition of good character, but it also emphasizes the grace of God here. Good character is always notable, but Scripture testifies that favor when it comes, that is always from God. So the only reason good character is notable for anything is because God has made it that way, and God approves of it and grants His favor upon it. And of course, this proverb doesn't say anything about bad men or people who hate the light or people who are calling right wrong and wrong right. But it doesn't have to say that about this because it's a proverb. That's how proverbs work. Nor is this saying anything about the times when God may allow good people to be persecuted for their righteousness, right? Because we can think of all sorts of exceptions. What about this? And yeah, that's true. And the rest of the Bible speaks to that. But this, in God's moral universe, how God's world works, good character is notable and commendable. And there's a universal recognition of men of good character. And none of these exceptions negate that, nor do they negate the ultimate blessing that will come to those who fear God by His grace. So the wise fear God by intently pursuing godly character are you a wise person in this way do you see the wisdom on display in this activity so if this is one way that those who fear god act in the stuff of life after they found wisdom and are living by wisdom then notice in these next very familiar verses how these next few verses demonstrate several dispositions of the fear of the lord not just actions but attitudes dispositions I think you could say that the wise fear God by completely trusting Him when making decisions. Verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. What is the orientation of those who make wise decisions? It's complete confidence. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. That's entire rest in who He is. Rest in what He's done, confidence in His Word. You're entrusting yourself to Him when you act this way. And it's with your whole being, all of your heart. Scripture speaks of your heart in terms of your mind and your will and your emotions. Everything you think, everything you feel, everything you choose, what you desire, what you want, what you meditate on. Trust in Him with all of that. This isn't a double-minded person like the book of James talks about. Undecided whether God's sufficient to be trusted or sufficient to lean on for wisdom. That's that's double-mindedness. That's not complete rest in who God is. That's not what's described in this verse. And you see how this takes faith and Certainly constant nourishment on the Word. How could I depend on someone that much? Even the closest living person to me, maybe a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or someone who's just your rock, I don't even know if I could depend on that person that much. How could I depend on someone I can't see that much? You can only do this by faith. You must know Him and you must walk with Him at all times if you will have this kind of complete confidence in Him. It's an orientation of complete confidence, but also exclusive dependence. Exclusive of what? What's the second half of verse 5? And do not lean on your own understanding. The picture here is, uh, you know, if you lean against a wall, right? You go on one leg or, you know, you've got your arm on a shovel or something and you're kind of folding your, fold, crossing your legs or something like that. All of your weight is on that thing. You're, you're completely leaning into it. But it's more than physical leaning. It's about what you know and who you're listening to. Do not lean on your own understanding. What you think is right must be informed by what God says is right. And if your understanding is different from the Bible, that is a false wall. It's going to crumble under your weight. You can't lean on it. You shouldn't lean on it. Uh, last summer, two years ago, two summers ago, I don't remember exactly when, I had a problem with my uh, car, our little Mazda, faithful Mazda out there. Um, Jen and I went on a hike, and the air conditioning stopped, and we made it all the way back from Boston Mills to our house over on Arcadia and got in the driveway, and we were going to, actually, it was right after Tobias was born, um, we were going to go to their house, and meet Tobias, and, uh, went to pull out of the driveway, and turned off the car, and it wouldn't turn on. when I started back up. Things were getting weirder and weirder as we were driving back, but then, like, nothing. It was dead. And there was this whole saga the rest of the day The Daniel ended up coming down and helping me, and, uh neighbors were helping me push the car all around kingdom come and um, got it back in the driveway and I was just I have no idea what I'm doing all finally we found a nice serpentine belt and shreds sitting on the bottom of my engine compartment and uh, so okay battery's dead serpentine belt's broken probably the alternator so I ended up taking it to the mechanic and I have very little as you can tell understanding of the inner workings of my monster but thankfully, my mechanic has extensive knowledge. Actually, Daniel helped me change the serpentine belt, and we learned a number of things. Uh, it's a good experience. But my mechanic had, uh, has, of course, a lot of insight into the situation, and I trust him. And it seemed to me that the problem was the alternator with what I learned that day from YouTube. Um, and it was. That was one of the problems. But he ended up discovering something else about my transmission said basically I was driving a a ticking time bomb, and something could come out at any time, it could happen anywhere, and it was going to be a very expensive fix. And uh, I trust my mechanic. And uh, I was willing to make a several thousand dollar decision based on his expertise and his advice. In fact, I would have been very foolish to lean on my own understanding, because I thought it was an alternator. And when I very professionally replaced my serpentine belt. I thought I was good to go. But if I had driven that thing, I very literally may have ended up in a ditch with my transmission somewhere on Route 8 or something. I don't know. I was leaning not on my own understanding. I couldn't. I didn't have any understanding. I would have been pretty foolish to try to. I wish that wasn't the case about my masa, but it is. So I had to lean on someone else's understanding. But notice also the orientation of comprehensive deference, not just complete trust and exclusive dependence, but comprehensive deference to God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. This certainly speaks to the scope of the kinds of decisions the author has in in view. All your ways. Not only the big decisions, the the crisis points like, you know, however much money for a transmission. Those two, those are certainly included, but not just those. That's not all. This describes the orientation of a whole life that defers to God in everything, that seeks His judgment about every decision in a day. This is a trust that makes reference to God every day, all day I've heard someone describe and kind of paint the picture of drawing lines between your life and God, seeing how he's working, wondering what he's thinking, asking for His wisdom. Certainly, this speaks to God's sovereignty and His care and His wisdom that He offers for life, too. This kind of deference to God acknowledges that God rules over what I'm about to do. He can direct me in any way that He chooses. This deference acknowledges that God cares which decision I make. He has desires that matter to me and that govern how I make choices. This kind of comprehensive deference acknowledges that God helps me. He will help me live a life that is entirely pleasing to Him. There is no area of my life or your life that God cannot help you with. Perhaps the most consistent way we should demonstrate this orientation of leaning on God, depending on Him, not acknowledging our own way, just by way of application. Maybe the most consistent way we should demonstrate this is by prayer. Talking to God in prayer is an acknowledgement of God as someone who hears prayer. When we confess sin, we acknowledge God as holy and pure and forgiving. When we Thank God and praise Him. We acknowledge that He's worthy. When we intercede for one another, we acknowledge that He cares. When we request something of Him, we acknowledge that He's able. To pray is to acknowledge God. And not to pray is to lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Do you pray? What's the end of the verse? What's the security of the person who makes wise decisions? You will have God to guide you and you will have God to help you fulfill his purpose for you. In all your ways acknowledge him and he, God will do it, will make your paths straight. This is what's honoring to him. If you dispose yourself toward God in this way, he will order steps. And the opposite is true. If you don't, you're subject to your own counsel, which is a lot more foolish than you give it credit for. There's only a snare for your feet there, Proverbs says. And if God is directing your steps, that may be through the valley of the shadow of death. Might, Might it be? And God often keeps us from seeing down the road. We often don't see many steps ahead of us. But the person who depends on him, God keeps them upright and he orders their whole course of life. But it really does get even more specific. God will help you fulfill his purpose for you. This phrase is actually the same thing that God says and does towards King Cyrus to cause him to rebuild Jerusalem and free his people to return to the land. We won't take time to turn there, but if you want to read, if you want to write down the reference, Isaiah 45, 13. God directs his steps. He's a pagan king, doesn't acknowledge God, but God so orders things, directs his steps, that he does exactly what God intended for him to do. And that's where I'm drawing that phrase, that point from. God will help you fulfill his purpose for you, as he did for Christ. Godless Cyrus, because God is intimately involved in the decisions of men to bring each person to his appointed end. And when this is operating towards someone who fears the Lord, what is this an assurance of? This is an assurance that God will receive all the glory from your life that he intends to receive. And that's the the best and highest thing that we can ask for as Christians, that God would be glorified in my life. This, of course, is not an assurance that we would be infallible. But it is an assurance that even as we operate in our own free will, in God's eternal wisdom and power, He will do exactly what is good and right through those who fear Him. So the wise fear God by completely trusting Him when making decisions. And they're blessed with tremendous security, in life God leading you and him leading you in the way that he intends and that he will receive glory from your life by and the next few verses continue to speak about choices moral ones in particular but with reference to I would say whose evaluation you're heeding so this isn't just about trust in making decisions but about values in making decisions and we see in verses 7 and 8 that the wise fear God by humbly adopting his assessment of moral choices. What do I mean by that? Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. And the wise here are accepting the fundamental evaluation of God above all others. And and stick with me. There's a direct comparison in the verse between who is evaluating you as wise. Do you see this? Is it you? Be not wise in your own eyes. The implication is Be wise in God's eyes. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Is it you who's saying that you're wise, who's thinking that you're wise, or is it actually God who's confirming that? God who is giving that estimation. And how can we know? How can we know what God says is wise? Well, read the book of Proverbs read Job 28, read Psalm 111, and what you'll find in each of these places consistently, Job chapter 1, I don't know if I said that, the chief expression of wisdom in God's eyes. Do you know what it is? Job was a wise man, wasn't he? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, Fearing God and turning away from evil. And this seems so basic to us, doesn't it? Don't sin. That's really a cheap expression of wisdom. Have you ever tried it? <laughs> Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. I'm not remembering the last reference that I said. Job has said several times that said of him that he fears the Lord and hates evil. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. This is... The chief way that God says you may be wise, the first way, this is kind of the front door, turn your foot away from evil. So accept the evaluation of evil that God gives and be wise and turn away from it. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. And then if we do this, the wise receive the health benefits from God. Above all others, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. This healing will be thorough. It's to your navel and to your bones. There are actual physical rewards and consequences to moral choices. We understand this. Clean, godly living certainly avoids the diseases accompanying sinful living. But also, this is an assurance that the refreshment will be comprehensive. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. As this is with reference to sin, which has marred this world and broken it, to choose righteousness over sin is to be restored, in fact, to the good of creation. And I don't think we have the time to to delve into this. But what is God doing is he's redeeming our He's redeeming us in Christ. He's He's fixing things that have been broken. And we're actually being restored to how God has created us. And that's part of what's going on here. And again, there is a reference, I believe, to the to the law of Deuteronomy, that if they would keep God's law and obey him, there would be physical promises. I think the thing we need to be careful of, of course, is that this chapter, as with the next point, this chapter is not teaching a health and wealth gospel. I wish we had more time to consider that. I think that will become a little more clear in the next point as we see in verses 9 and 10, that the wise fear God by sacrificially worshiping him from their possessions. The disposition of the God fear toward wealth is that God owns it and God is honored as we give to Him from it. We can't enrich God. God doesn't need anything from us, but as He is the giver, it is appropriate for us to give back to Him from it. And God shows favor towards those who honor Him. When God's people do this, God rewards them in kind. What's described in verse 10 is barns that don't need any worry over them and vats that aren't just flowing with wine but overflowing with wine. You need another one. And maybe you'd say here, like you might say in verse 8, well, I've given my tithe my whole Christian life and I'm not rich. What gives here? I think we should ask the right question. Are you honoring God with your giving or are you seeking honor for yourself? I think it's easy to be mistaken on this point and misled by our own selfish lusts here because these verses are not teaching health and wealth. This verse doesn't allow the God-fearer to put his trust in riches. It does demonstrate a certain kind of reciprocity and there is a way that that God's rewards are both appropriate and gracious, warranted, and undeserved. Because God will reward in eternity, just as he will judge in eternity, based on deeds, right things that we have done. And there is is a connection between those. Not that we deserve them, but God will graciously give them as they are appropriate. God says, those who honor me, I will honor. And we should be clear that God is one who diligently rewards those who seek him. And certainly we believe that this healing and refreshment and wealth and abundance will come in eternity when all things are made well and all things are ours. There is eternal reward and honor and vindication for those who fear God in life. But yet in this life too, Even for us, not under the old covenant, but even in the new covenant, are we not rich among all men by the simple pleasures of life enjoyed in right relationship with God? The spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ, and even the material abundance we have among the people of God, as there is care shown and love given. We would be well served, not tonight, we'd be well served to to look at the connection here to the covenant promises of Deuteronomy, and I do believe that's the context of these kinds of promises. But to the final verses. The wise fear God. What's the final action presented here? They fear Him by steadily receiving His loving discipline. There are certain attitudes that the wise person avoids when God is disciplining them. An attitude of hardness. My son, do not reject the discipline of Lord. But also an attitude of of, rejection, of fear. Perhaps knowing the difficulty of what God's about to bring into your life and dreading it, hoping to avoid it. This is the kind of attitude that the wise person avoids in God's discipline. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. But what are the truths that can stabilize a person in affliction? For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. This is, isn't it, the blessing of this this pair of verses. We've seen an action and a blessing. A way that you fear God and a way that God blesses you based on that fear. And this is the blessing. And what is the blessing? The one whom God disciplines, he loves that person. And that's the greatest and highest blessing that we've been given, that we would be called children of God. How can this be, that God would love a soul like me? It really is a marvel and it is a blessing that God has named some as children and allowed us to call him Father. God reproves the people that he loves, as a father does his own child. God's love, God's discipline, indicates God's love, and we ought not to harden our hearts and our wills against it. And this should be a truth, shouldn't it, that stabilizes us in that time of discipline, the truth that God loves you, God loves you enough not to leave you to your own way, not to leave you in your own sin? How many times have children received this from loving parents, insisting on their own way that their parent knows will be destructive to them? God loves us enough not to leave us to ourselves. And he disciplines disciplines us, Hebrews 12 says, for our good that we may share his holiness. And he loves us. So, the message here of these verses is that you must fear God to receive the blessings of God, to receive the blessings of wisdom. It's those who are in right relationship to Yahweh who receive his highest blessing. And wisdom, labored after and found as a precious jewel, we bring into the market in the stuff of everyday life as we as we listen to wisdom, as we pursue godly character, as we depend on God in choices, as we honor God from our possessions, as we take God's evaluations into consideration in our choices, and as we endure adversity and discipline that he brings to us. So are you wise? Does this, do these actions describe the way that you live? I trust that they do. I trust that you'll be encouraged to to do these things and embrace these actions of wisdom in the fear of the Lord because you love him and because you're in awe of him and you know both the nature of sin and the nature of God. That one would destroy you and that the other would keep you from it as is good for you. And as he does, by his grace, God will bless you. There's many, many precious truths here. Trust will encourage our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word and uh, the blessings of it. Help us to fear you and to walk in the fear of the Lord all our days. Lord, we need help. We need faith to do this. Help us to trust you and walk with you even this week as we read our Bibles and pray and depend on you in that way. Help us to love each other and to encourage one another in love. We pray this in Christ's name.